Hi, I'm Dr. Barbara Byers. Welcome back. This is part two of codependency. In part one, I was just finishing up talking about co-addiction. And so I want to say just this in summary, there's three fears of a co-addict. One is they, they fear they're going to lose their own identity in that relationship. And they do little by little. Second fear is they're forced to deny their own intuition. They're forced to deny what they know is real if they want to stay in that relationship. And third, they realize that fulfilling their own needs will have a pretty heavy price to pay. All right. So again, I mentioned before that this deep internal belief of the codependent is they're just responsible for everything. And this has usually been since childhood. So let me go on now and talk about emotional dependency. And this we see, uh, we see it in marriages, but I think I'm speaking from this more from friendships and adult relationships, teen and adult relationships. So emotional dependency. If you have a healthy relationship, you have a mutuality of care for one another. You have a mutuality of trust and honesty, and you have a mutuality of respect or honor. But when you have codependency, those three start breaking down or get aberrated in strange ways. So emotional dependency occurs when the ongoing presence of another person we feel is necessary for our well-being and our personal security. Remember the line of the song, I can't live if living is without you? That's how the codependent feels. But the truth is we can't, we can live without another. We can't live without relationships, healthy relationships. So at one time we are to be very dependent. That's in infancy when we're dependent on mother. And then later, nurturing takes many forms as we move toward emotional health. We all have a deep need for connection with other people, with ourselves, with the Lord, and that's been placed in us at creation. But we do have a natural tendency to look to others to fulfill those places and, and to provide for what we need. Okay, so... Here are some indicators that we may be in codependency if either party does these things, uh, and you'll see the blurring of boundaries here. They experience jealousy, possessiveness, or see other people as threats to the relationship and try to keep others out. They prefer to spend time alone with this person, that's exclusively, become frustrated when this doesn't happen. They become irrationally angry or depressed when the other person even withdraws slightly and isn't available to them. They lose interest in other friendships. They experience inappropriate romantic or sexual feelings leading to fantasy about this person. They become, and not all of these may be true, just, just some of them. They become preoccupied with the other's appearance, personality, problems, and interests. They may even copy them. They're unwilling to make plans that don't include the other person. They're unable to see the other person's faults realistically. They display physical affection beyond that which is appropriate for that friendship. 
They refer frequently to the other person in conversations when they're not there and they feel free to speak for them. Intimacy and familiarity with a friend uh, causes others around them to feel embarrassed or uncomfortable, like, you know, something's amiss here. Um, manipulation, boy, this is one of the primary ones. So they try to control the other person through circumstances, through even mild deceptions or indirect means like combining finances, giving gifts, giving lots of cards, sharing clothing, copying styles. They may use romanticism to evoke responses, you know, meaningful eye contact, flattery and praise. You're, you're the only one who, who understands me. Um, conversational triggers, such as teasing and nicknames, a secret language, I can remember in high school, my best friend and I, gosh, I was lived in Germany at that time, 15, I guess, we had kind of this secret language and it was just so much fun. Uh, but, you know, that was 15. I've moved on. Um, repressing negative feelings and failing to be honest with the other. So you don't work out real problems. Creating exaggerated problems to get attention dramatic, making the other feel guilty over unmet expectations. So you're making the other person feel like you expect them to be the primary need meter for you and vice versa. Threats, pouting, brooding, cold silences, undermining other relationships. Provoking insecurity by giving them, uh, by giving and then withholding approval. So playing this game, you know, I, I give you approval and now you feel really good and now I step back from it. And it's a way to manipulate. Keeping the other's time occupied. I want to possess you for myself. So you may have noticed a few things about yourself as I said that. I don't want you to be disheartened but when the Lord does bring something into the light to our attention, it's because he wants to free us. He wants to heal us. And his grace and power are present to do that. So what are the sinful elements? Um, emotionally dependent relationships really lead to a bondage that's greater than we often realize. So I want to recommend a book by Rensel, I think it's Laurie Rensel, called Emotional Dependency. Um, usually in codependency, there is a lot of denial that something is wrong. A lot of denial, especially if there haven't been any physical boundaries crossed. You know, a married man is talking to a married woman. We haven't touched, we haven't done anything, but they're getting too close emotionally and they share too many things too often and look forward to seeing each other. So it would be helpful if someone is in their life to help them be more objective and see what's really going on. It involves the sin of envy, interestingly enough. You want maybe someone else's looks, you admire something, you want their attributes, you want their gifts, and you fail to recognize and accept who you are, your attributes and your gifts. And sometimes we will connect with others in a codependent way because it's like we're wanting to take from them. 
You remember I said it's need love masquerading as gift love I need and I want to take from you. Uh, you want to be close to them to take. And this can become eroticized into lesbian and homosexual relationships. There is an idolatry present. We demand of that other something only God can give us to tell us who we really are and what we're really about and give us our own identity. You know, as a counselor, I've seen this often in marriages, one demanding of the other, you know, always be there for me. Tell me who I am, make me feel better about myself. That's, that's, not, their, that's not their place, it's only the Lord's. It also involves a sin of pride so we're placing ourselves in a position maybe to rescue someone else, to, to be their need meter, and that actually belongs to God. And I'm not saying we don't meet other people's needs. We certainly do. And sometimes it even involves a sacrifice and might look like codependency when it's not. When we're moved by the Holy Spirit to do that. But when we are in a place of pride doing that, that has to be repented of. So the common denominator in, in all, all of this is a manipulation to get our needs met. And that's control, and we have to repent of that as sin. So, so what do we need to do? Well, when we start recognizing this, our tendency toward emotional codependency, uh, whether you seem to be the weak one in the relationship or the strong one in the relationship, we, we recognize it's time to repent. And repentance and restoration with the Lord, that's, that's instantaneously. We repent and he covers us and he forgives us. However, the walking it out is not instantaneous. It's a process of trusting the Lord and pulling back from some relationships in a healthier way and learning how to have clear boundaries and dealing with our anxiety when we do need to pull back because now we may be alone and we don't feel good when we're alone. We want to glom onto someone and feel better. But that's part of that process is learning. I've got to fight my fears. I've got to recognize what the lies are. I've got to deal with the anxieties. You know, in Joshua 10, the Lord promised Joshua, go in. I'm going to give you the promised land and I'm going to give you uh, the kings. There were five kings. Uh, but the battle still had to be fought for those kings. And uh, it says in Joshua eleven eighteen, Joshua waged war a long time with those kings. Ouch. So we have to be willing to face our tendencies and invite the Lord into that and begin to say, heal me, Lord, show me when I'm doing it and I'll step back. I want to obey you and deepen that sense of who I am in you and my own identity. So we uh, confess these things to the Lord and we renounce our codependency as idolatry. And me, we may really need to name, and we often do, let me just say, we need to name the person we're in idolatry to. Uh, I've attempted to make them over into my image or I've let them make me over into their image through control. And that means I'm bent to them and we're to control no other and we're to allow no other to control us. We don't exist for anyone else. So we soundly renounce this idolatry. And we also may have to repent of any wrong kind of burden bearing that we've done. We also ask the Lord 
Lord, help me face any pain that drives me to this, any pain that's been masked. I want to live uh, with you and love you well and love others well. And then we learn to choose what's only our own. We don't carry what someone else actually needs to carry for their own maturity. And we go on ourselves to maturity. St. Francis of Assisi prayed, set love in order in me. And that's what we need to pray. Lord, set, set your love in order because we have disordered things in our soul and we can ask him, Take me on this journey, this life journey of setting love in order. And we find it's really a relief to let go of having to rescue others. Many times in my counseling practice, I was just so wanted to do something for another and rescue, but I, I found I couldn't. And um, what they need is their own savior. <laughs> I can't do it for them. And um, loving God is the most essential thing trusting him, knowing him, and pointing others to him, that we can care for one another, we can meet each other's needs up to a limit, but we involve him and we point them to him. One last thing I want to say is, by example, do you remember Isaac waited decades and God granted him his beautiful son, Isaac, and Isaac was a young lad, I don't know, maybe 12 or so. And God said, take him up the mountain to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. And Abraham obeyed. He took him up there and bound him to the altar and raised a knife over him. But And, and then God provided a ram. But afterwards, the Lord said, now I know you fear me because you've not withheld your own son, your only son. But it wasn't just a message, you know. Uh, now I know you love me because Abraham made a memorial and named that place the Lord will provide. He didn't name it. I proved my great love for God. He named it the Lord will provide because he understood God's character. God wasn't a tyrant demanding sacrifice. The central issue was, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And you see, we can lay others down, those that we love when we trust him because he is a good God. Thanks for listening to these two parts about codependency. I hope it's been helpful and given you some pointers and uh, some wisdom for, for the journey. Join me next time.